0: Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your
1: downtime, whenever you get the chance to
0: take a moment.
1: Hello, my name's Beth Cooper. I am the clinical lead learning disability nurse from the South Norfolk Learning Disabilities Team. Tell me about your job. What does a typical day look like for you? We're a nine to five service Um, we work in the community with people with learning disabilities to help meet their health needs um, and get support in place to ensure that they can meet their full potential. So in terms of
0: the support, what is it that you're doing for somebody? So if somebody comes to your service, are they on your books for a while? Would they kind of stay with the service for a long time? What kind of support are you giving? Is it things like, you know, helping them getting to work or helping them in, with school and things like that or studies? Is, you know, what kind of support do you give?
1: we receive lots of referrals from adults um, 18 years and over and they can be from a such a wide varying range of things so we do physical health support so that might be health action planning ensuring people's health needs are being met we do sexual health and education we do mental health assessments and we look at kind of how we can meet their mental health needs and how we're making sure that people with learning disabilities are having access to services they need. We look at within mental health, we look at dementia and how we can assess that. We have access to obviously an MDT, so it's not just nurses. We have speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, physios, OTs that we work alongside to collaboratively ensure that that people with learning disabilities are having equitable access to um, health services. What is a learning disability? What do people present with? So people with learning disabilities, they might have communication difficulties, they might need reasonable adjustments put in place to to make sure that they're getting their needs met so things like longer appointment times or having information presented to them in a way that's more accessible so they understand it They might not communicate, they might be non-verbal, so we might have to look at other ways that we can communicate with them. But we also might have people that just have difficulty in processing information, so we might need to ensure that they have, as I say, the longer appointment times to make sure that they can process the information we're given to them. And it's presented to them in a way that they can still have autonomy over their health. That's
0: the thing, isn't it? You don't want anyone to feel sort of singled out like they, you know, this is being done to them. Everything is done for them, but should be in collaboration, presumably. And that must be quite difficult to send out the right information in the right way because we're so used to a letter or a text message or something that's that's a written communication that details where your appointment's going to be and what time. And we just expect that people can read and absorb that. And actually, that's not the case, is it? So there's a lot of work, I guess, that the trust need to do to keep an eye on all of our communications
1: to make sure that what we're sending is accessible absolutely and in in the learning disability service we have um, a county-wide accessible information working group so it's a group that gets together to look at how we are presenting our information and how we're sending out letters or our assessments and what they might look like to ensure that people can have access to that information and can be part of them assessments and be part of the work we do because absolutely as you were kind of saying we want to be really person-centered and ensure that people are are at the heart of everything we do. And we can make
0: decisions based on what we think is right. But how much better is it to actually go out and ask people who are experiencing, you know, a difficulty in in understanding something, what would make it easier for you? You know, and you I mean, you have a, a personal situation, don't you, that allows you to to really empathize with your patients. Tell us about your home life.
1: Yeah so yeah I don't really talk about it that often but I am a carer. I have a young child um, Chester who's six years old. He has severe learning disabilities and autism. So yeah I think Chester is brings different complex challenges to my life and also he brings me the greatest joy. So um It is very difficult sometimes getting that kind of balance right between work and home life. But I do think being a mum of a child with learning disabilities and autism, it kind of gives me a very unique stance on things. I can definitely empathise to a different level. I'm not saying my colleagues don't empathise because they they do. But I have an understanding, particularly working with parents, and the difficulties they face and the challenges they have to overcome and the barriers to services. So, yeah, it gives me a very unique um, kind of perspective on things, I suppose. Yeah
0: I can imagine because actually the parent and the carer is the real line in to your service isn't it that the the person who is responsible for the person with learning disabilities especially if like you say some of them are non-verbal you are relying on that person to know what the needs of their loved one is and so you know that relationship and you know that you've often had to speak for Chester I'm sure at, at doctor's appointments and you know and, and as he gets older that might continue yeah I guess you can see that from a really different perspective do you bring that into work then do you what do, do you talk to your colleagues about what you've learned from having Chester?
1: I can appreciate that every parent and carer is the expert of their child and I think that's something we need to respect as professionals although that can also bring some challenges in itself can't it so you have to kind of um, have boundaries I suppose but with regards to talking to my colleagues I think when we're having kind of clinical supervisions and we're talking about cases, I'm able to kind of see a different side of things sometimes. So when I'm supporting my team and and looking at a particular complex case, I always think of it from the carer's perspective and, and from the parent's perspective. And I always kind of try and take that stance sometimes and, and use that coaching techniques to try and ensure that nurses within the SARIF are looking at a different dynamic i suppose looking from a different angle
0: have you ever come across any issues in services that you've used with chester so as the parent carer when you've come up against your counterparts let's say have you ever experienced any issues or anything that you would then sort of be able to take back as learning do you use the trust services or do you use services outside of the trust
1: yeah so his needs are met within the trust he's under the children's paediatrician but you have to kind of keep them professional boundaries his paediatrician is incredible. She understands she'll sit and give me the time and listen to me. And, and she takes on my professional views, if you like, and, and my professional understanding of, of what Chester's needs might be. But also, she she's very good at helping me be a mum, because I think that's important that I'm still a mum and I'm not always seen as the expert in the room when it comes to Chester, because... I can't be his mum and his nurse. I think that's unhealthy and I wouldn't encourage anyone that is a carer to take on all them roles if you are a professional and in, in working in this kind of work. You need support too as his mum.
0: In a way, I suppose some people might see you as being in a slightly elevated position in terms of his care because of what you know you can walk into a a room full of professionals and say right I think it's probably this this and this that he needs because you deal with it you know on a daily basis but actually like you say there's that line where being a mum and being a professional stops and you know you need to sometimes just be there for him
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I need professionals to know that I am the expert of Chester and and I know his needs best. I know how best to to meet their needs. However, I also need professionals to know that there there is times when I need to be a mum. And also, I might be an expert in in my own kind of field. I work in learning disabilities, so arguably I I do have some expertise and knowledge in, in that area. However, I'm not the expert of of everything, and i and I wouldn't be expected to be the expert of everything. I think there needs to be kind of an acknowledgement that we can't all be the best at everything, and there is some going to be some gaps within my knowledge base too yeah, and that's a good lesson, isn't it for everybody
0: that you're not going to know everything it's learning a lot of the time, and you're constantly learning. I'm sure that you'll learn things as Chester gets older as well. What are your hopes for the service moving forward obviously as Chester grows and you you know he's going to become an adult um, and he's going to be using your services is there anything that at the moment the service doesn't do that you hope
1: it will in the future? Um, no I think I have to admit I, I'm not just saying this because it's where I work but I do think in adult services we are so dedicated and passionate about person centered care and ensuring that we put that young person or that adult at the center of everything we do, I think we do incredible work every day. I see my colleagues doing such incredible things and ensuring that they're advocating for the needs of, of their patients so I honestly don't think I don't think I would change anything as time goes. Services will evolve and we'll identify new things that we might need to branch out to and maybe new ideas will come in because that's the way health goes isn't it we kind of always evolve but I'd be very proud to um, have Chester in our service um, and be supported by some of my colleagues. What kind of support do you
0: receive sort of outside of the professional?
1: So yeah I have some top tips for carers so my number one is definitely find your tribe what I mean by that is find people that are in your support network. I think in the kind of SEN community, so special educational needs community, there is lots of support out there, there's lots of forums, there's lots of ways that you can connect with other people. So I'd definitely say what my number one top tip is to find those support networks and ensure you've got someone to talk to or someone that's had an experience so you can kind of get more information because um, knowledge is power when you have a child with additional needs so yeah it's knowing how to navigate services and knowing what where you need to turn to my number two tip is take some time for yourself so that might be something really small I'm partial to a Starbucks my thing I try to do is to to take some time for myself as I go and get myself a coffee but that might be doing something with your friends. It could be something really small, like having a bath, like just do something for you because in in kind of the day-to-day life of supporting children or young people or even in any kind of caring capacity, it can be really isolating, but it can also be really overwhelming and get quite stressful at times. So I think it's important to take some time for yourself. My number three is always have something to look forward to so that might be a family trip or a holiday um, but also things like nights out with friends or doing something with people that are important to you Um, so yeah always having something in the future to kind of look forward to because that definitely helps me and lastly identify the people and this could be inside of work or external that you can go to when you need a rant because there is going to be them days where you've had a really difficult night. Um, Chester doesn't sleep so sometimes I'll come in and he's only had an hour's sleep and I just need to have a two-minute rant and so you need to identify your people that you can rant to. Yeah, you have to find that person that you can get on the phone to at At whatever time and just kind of go I've not had any sleep and he's doing this and this is the new challenge and or this is something else has happened or but yeah they're my top tips for if you're a carer
0: really really good tips I think those will be really useful to a lot of people listening to this and I think that that last one really resonated with me because I think quite often there's a difference between asking for help and just needing to rant, you know? And when you go to someone and say, oh, I've had no sleep, Chester doesn't sleep, like sometimes the first instinct will be, well, how can we fix that for you? And sometimes you don't need it to be fixed. You just want someone to say, that sounds really hard. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Like just as simple as that, just giving you that time and listening, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And a lot of the kind of challenges that I am faced with on a day-to-day We're not going to fix. No one's going to be able to fix them. Um, So it's just acknowledging, Beth, I can really hear that you're having a difficult time or you've had a difficult night with Chester. Let's have a coffee and then let's let's kind of talk about it. And it's just having them opportunities to talk. Yeah. So I have also done some top tips for staff supporting people with caring responsibilities.
0: Amazing. Let's hear those.
1: (laughs) OK, so... I obviously it within within the nursing team in the south, they won't mind me saying, but I do have a few a few nurses that have caring responsibilities at home, and I kind of think number one is always listen and just giving opportunities. So it's kind of the reverse of the other tips. Listen, give opportunities to um, celebrate successes. Recently, Chester actually had his first day toilet training and when it was a really successful day. He had a day where he used the toilet successfully all day. To a lot of people, um, a six-year-old, he is six, that's like not a massive deal. To me, that is the world. That is like such a huge achievement and I am so proud of him. So just having someone and my colleagues today have all been talking about it and oh he's done really well but just being able to celebrate them successes with me because they're huge and they will make the world of a difference to, to someone with kind of care and responsibilities. Um, I think compassionate leadership is kind of my second tip. My manager, Stephen, is the most compassionate manager I've ever had, and he is so understanding. And without that, I think people would struggle without having kind of a leader or or managers that. Can, can kind of be really compassionate around home life and personal situations. And I know the trust is incredible with, with wellbeing and looking out for carers. I know there's been lots of stuff going around on comms around um, looking out for your wellbeing. So yes, absolutely compassionate leadership. And then I think from my point of view, leading a team where I do have some staff members with kind of care and responsibilities, it's knowing my staff and knowing when to recognize the good and the bad days. So I think I've got pretty good. Uh, and I think it's also because I'm in a similar situation, so I can recognize it a little bit better. Um, but it's recognizing when someone's not quite themselves or not quite their norm, if you like. So it's kind of pulling people and going, is there something I can help with? Is something going on? Should we talk about it? So yeah, it's knowing your staff. So they are my top tips for supporting people with care responsibilities?
0: Again, very good tips that will be very useful to people. And I think on that last one as well, just being open as well, you know, there's a flip side to, to noticing. There's also, you know, if you are struggling, be open, talk to your line manager. There are always options. There's always things that can be done to support people. We've got carers leave in the discretionary leave policy. There's things that can be done to support we always look at flexible working opportunities as well in the trust. So there's things that can happen. So I do feel like sometimes it's definitely important to spot when people are struggling. You're right. But I think we ourselves need to be open, don't we? And say, look, you know, put your hand up and say, I'm struggling. I need some help.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you've got to be open about it because you can't hide it. You can't run away from it, unfortunately, particularly in my situation. And I think it's better to be open and upfront and kind of say, these are the difficulties I'm facing because that that in turn, whether you like it or not, it will have an impact on your work in some way, shape or form. So it's just being open. so Then we can kind of plan to ensure that that that's considered so I know we we do lots around well-being and kind of the referrals to insight and and maybe looking at some counselling support for you in your caring capacity because it is hard it is isolating and um, yeah it does get really difficult at times. And even outside
0: of the trust there's support like Facebook groups and there's support networks and, and um, focus groups and all sorts that you can join aren't there where you can be with like-minded people You can empathise with your staff who are carers because of your home life, but there will be managers who can't, and it might be daunting to go to a line manager to explain your situation who you you feel maybe wouldn't understand. But I think it's important that we try and open up those conversations because that's how everybody will be educated and, and understand what's happening and know what to do. And even if you're not going through it, you still will know the routes for support to signpost somebody down.
1: Yeah, so I think being open is definitely a huge thing and also ensuring that you've got the right support for your caring responsibility. What I mean by that is obviously I've got a child with additional needs or special educational needs, so I've got specific forums for that. But I know there's different forums for different kind of needs exactly what you said you need to find your tribe and it is different for everyone if you
0: care for an elderly person or you care for someone with dementia or you care for a young person it's it will be slightly different but I think the theme that runs through it is like you said the isolation that you you can sometimes feel like you're going through that alone and actually what we're saying here is you don't have to there are people
1: you just need to reach out yeah and it's finding the right support for you so for me I've got Um, special educational needs forums and they're specifically for Norfolk and I can talk with like-minded parents or carers that are in similar situations and you kind of get a lot of your ideas from there so like um, I was talking a bit about Chester's toilet training but what works for one child is not going to work for all children. So I got some really good tips from there. I know Starfish um, within our our service, they do lots of incredible work and resources and a really good point of contact for a lot of families. So it's just kind of finding the right support. And sometimes that's not easy to do. And this is one of the barriers, I think, sometimes for, particularly in children's services for, for children with special educational needs, is knowing the route you have to go down to get where you need to be to get the right support. So you sometimes have to be, do a little bit of trial and error, but you do get there eventually. And there is some incredible services and some incredible support out there. If there's someone listening to this
0: who thinks I'm in exactly the same situation as Beth, and I'm, but I'm only just sort of starting out on my journey, what is one thing that you would
1: give someone as a, a kind of a piece of advice for what they should do first? Anyone that, that is starting out on this kind of or suspecting maybe that their child's got autism or learning disabilities, the first thing I would do is not dwell on what they can't do dwell on what they can because it's so important that you don't compare your child to another child I think it's very easily done and I think you can get yourself in a very negative mindset so absolutely don't dwell on what they can't do celebrate what they can that was my top tip number one (laughs) Uh, the number two would be again it's always going to come back down to support because that is the most fundamental thing for any family going through this kind of journey find your support network um i've got an incredible family that support me with chester and and working full-time but yeah find your support that might be through your family that might be external that might be through other services but absolutely find a really good robust support network and my final tip is, if anyone inside the trust really needs some support, they need someone to rant to for five minutes, they need someone that understands, then please do give me an email, give me a phone call. I'm always, I'll am always, i be one of your support networks.
0: Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels